My name is Rick Renner, and today I'm in Domitian Square in the very heart of ancient Ephesus. And behind me are the remnants of a huge fountain which bears several names. Sometimes it's called the Polio Fountain because it was commissioned by a very famous family by that name. But it's usually called the Domitian Fountain because it's right here in the heart of Domitian Square, right next to the Temple of Domitian. And though the statue is not there today, at one time there was a huge monumental statue of a god in the middle of that fountain. The fountain was so highly ornamented, it was just magnificent. Actually, all of Ephesus was magnificent. And in the midst of all this magnificence was the church. The church that was thriving, prospering, booming in the power of God. Yes, it had opposition, had a lot of opposition. And by the time that you come to the later part of the first century, it had a lot of opposition because of Domitian. You can't help but think of him when you're in this place. This is Domitian Square, Domitian Fountain, the Domitian Temple. Domitian was demented and twisted. He declared that he was God and did everything he could to eradicate the Christian faith. He was even the emperor who exiled John to the Isle of Patmos, where John received the book of Revelation. Wow. But to the church of Ephesus, the apostle Paul prophesied that at the very end of the age, there would be an invasion of seducing spirits and doctrines of demons that would begin to lead believers away from the time-tested teaching of Scripture. Peter also prophesied this. Peter prophesied it in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, where he said in the end of the age, there shall be false teachers. And do you know what happened? Jude read Peter's letter. And when Jude read what Peter wrote about false teachers at the end of the age, he was so stirred, he decided to write about it. And we read what Jude wrote in Jude, verse 3. He says, I found it needful to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. Even at that early moment, the faith was in jeopardy. People were trying to twist the truth, change the truth, modify the truth to fit their culture, to fit their times. And Jude was so stirred by this invasion of seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, even in his day, that he said, hey, I have to address this issue as well. So when you study the writings of Jude, Peter, and Paul, all of them tell us that at the end of the age, we're going to confront this again. Jude says you have to earnestly contend for the faith. In Greek, there's a definite article. This is not just raw faith for miracles or raw faith for power or signs and wonders. That definite article means it is the faith, the tenets of faith, the time-tested teaching of Scripture. He says earnestly contend for the Word of God, the teaching of doctrine, the time-tested teaching of Scripture that was once and for all delivered unto the saints. It's ours. God gave us the Word of God, and we have a responsibility to preserve it, to guard it, and to pass it along to others in the purest form possible. That is our responsibility. And that is what I'm going to talk to you about today. Stay tuned for a teaching you can trust, a message that will inspire, strengthen, and equip you with vital insights and understanding from the Word of God. 
here is Rick. Welcome to today's program. I've been waiting for you, and today I'm here with Sister Denise Renner. Denise, welcome to the program. Thank you, Rick. I'm glad to be on this program. I'm glad that she's with us, and I'm glad that you're with us. And I want to begin by recommending that you order my book called How to Keep Your Head on Straight in a World Gone Crazy. This book is so amazing. You know, Denise, I can't remember when I wanted people to have a book more than I've wanted them to have this book. I believe this book will really be used by God to help straighten people's course that have kind of lost their way. And the endorsements for this book are coming in from everywhere. It is just amazing. I'll read just two of them to you today. My friend, Mario Murillo. I love Mario Murillo. I respect him so much. He says, this book is a reliable map through the maze of our wicked age, a living training manual for amazing victory in the end of days. Evangelist Daniel Kalenda, who's the president and CEO of Christ for All Nations, said this book will help you navigate the challenging new moral landscape that has many believers frustrated and confused. That's why I wrote the book. I want to help people. And I believe that this book really will be a blessing to you. And I want you to order your copy today. The full title is How to Keep Your Head on Straight in a World Gone Crazy, Developing Discernment for These Last Days. We're offering you my series by the same title. It's based on these programs, How to Keep Your Head on Straight in a World Gone Crazy. It's 15 parts. It comes in multiple formats. And all of this can be ordered on our website. And if you need prayer, please let us know how to pray for you. We are people of prayer. Denise and I believe in prayer. Our team believes in prayer. And it would be our privilege to put our faith together with you. Today I'm going to talk to you about how to keep your head on straight in a world gone crazy. I don't know about you, but I'm really enjoying this series. And our foundational verse for this series is 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. So let's go there together. Denise, do you have your Bible open? I have my Bible. All right. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, where Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. And we've seen that in the Greek text, those words speaketh expressly, our translation of the Greek word retus. It describes something emphatic, something unmistakable. You cannot confuse it. You could translate it. Now, the Spirit speaks in the strongest and clearest of language. He's describing something that will emphatically take place at the end of the age. And what does he say is going to take place? He says, now the Spirit speaks expressly, emphatically, definitely, describing something that for sure will come to place. He's speaking in the strongest and clearest of language that in the latter times, that word latter, the Greek word hysteros, describes the very ultimate end of a thing when there's nothing left over. So now the Holy Spirit is pointing to the very outer rim of the last days. Those are the days we're living in. And he describes what we will see at the very end of that time period. And what does he say? He says, some shall depart from the faith. Notice he does not say everybody will depart from the faith. And I want to encourage you that the Bible also prophesies there will be a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the end of the age. And by the way, we're living in that great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But simultaneously, there is a departure from the faith that is taking place. Both of these things are taking place simultaneously. These are the best of times, and these are also very troubling times. But the Bible says some shall depart. The word depart 
does not mean they're going to reject the faith. It means they're going to depart from the faith. It describes a very slow transition, so slow that those who are in transition may not even realize that their position is changing. But little by little, step by step, they're moving from one position to another position, departing from the faith. In Greek, it has a definite article, which means this is not faith for miracles or faith for signs and wonders. The faith refers to the time-tested teaching of Scripture. People will depart from the sound teaching of the Bible. That's what it means, and that is exactly what we're seeing. And why they're doing it is implied in the text. It says, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Giving heed is a Greek word, prosecho. The word pros means leaning towards something. Echo means to embrace. They're releasing what they once held to be precious and dear, which is the faith. And now they're opening their mind to new possibilities, new systems of thought, progressive kind of thinking. They're leaning in a new direction, echo, in order to embrace it. But the Bible says, make no mistake, you need to understand it is the activity of seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. That is what the Bible means in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, describing the end of the age that you and I are living in right now. Isn't that amazing, Denise? Well, it's very sobering, Rick. Very sobering. And we are seeing it. And we are seeing even the departing now, which I'm so glad you're talking about it. Well, I feel a, a responsibility before God to alert people to what's taking place and to help people stay on track spiritually. Now, this issue was so important in the first century. Paul addressed it. Jesus addressed it in Matthew chapter 24. Peter addressed it in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. We saw that in the last program. And Jude addressed it in Jude verse 3. Do you know why Jude addressed it? Because he got Peter's letter. And when he read Peter's letter and he saw what Peter wrote about a departure from the faith and false teachers, it so stirred Jude that Jude decided he was also going to address this issue. And today that leads us to Jude verse 3. That's where we're going to begin. So let's go there, Jude verse 3. And in Jude verse 3, in the King James Version, Jude says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. The first thing we find in this verse is the letter we have is not the letter Jude intended to write. His original intention was to write a letter about salvation. Well, Jesus was his brother. Jesus was his elder brother. He and Jesus had different fathers, but they had the same mother. So, of course, the issue of salvation, the price that was paid at the cross, the resurrection, this would have been very dear to the heart of Jude, and that's what Jude wanted to write about. He wanted to write about salvation. But suddenly he's heard something that is so alarming, he has scrapped his plans and now he's decided to write about something else. And that's why he says, it was needful for me to write unto you. That word needful is a Greek word, aneke. It describes an urgent necessity, something I've got to do. I've got to do it right now. Something is happening so critical, so terrible. I have to respond to it right now. Jude heard that false teachers were already invading the church in that early hour of church history. And he was so disturbed by it, he felt the need to raise his voice as a commander 
to alert the troops that they needed to enter into the fray and defend the truth from false teaching. In fact, notice what else he said in verse 3. He said, it was needful for me, the Greek word aneke, I found an urgent necessity. I had to do it. I was compelled to do it. I had to respond to write to you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith. That word, exhort, is a Greek word, parakaleia. It's a very familiar word in the New Testament. It can mean, are you ready? To urge, to beseech, to beg, or even to encourage. But what is most important in this context is this word, here translated exhort, the Greek word parakaleo, was often used by military leaders or commanding officers before they sent their troops into battle. And here's what those commanders would do. They would summon the troops and they would explain to the troops what kind of battle was in front of them. They didn't deny the fact there was a battle. They didn't hope the battle would go away. They would say to the troops, my friends, there's a real fight in front of us. It's going to be difficult. There could be bloodshed. And the commander would stir the troops to stand tall, throw their shoulders back, look the enemy into the face, and boldly march into the fray. That's what this word exhort means. And the very fact that Jude would use this word, tells us he knew a spiritual battle was brewing that needed to be dealt with. It needed to be confronted. And when he says, I felt urgently compelled to write to you to exhort you, he is now speaking like a commander of the faith. He's raising his voice because someone needs to raise their voice and he's preparing the troops for battle. He knows that error is trying to enter the church and it is the responsibility of the church to drive it out of their territory. So he's summoning the troops, his readers, which include you and me, to march into the fray and drive error out of their midst and out of our midst. What a relevant message that is for these last days. No, Rick, as you're talking, I was thinking about some things we even heard last night on the news and the deception that's out there and that we, we need to be alerted. And I so appreciate that you're talking about alerting the troops because we are called by God. We are his troops and he loves us. And he cares about us and he wants to alert us and warn us and let us know of what's going to happen because that's going to help us get through it. Absolutely. And Jude gives us more instruction. He tells us we are to earnestly contend for the faith. Those two words, earnestly contend, is the Greek word ep agonizo mai. It's a compound of two Greek words, the word epi, which means over, and the word agonizomai, which means to fight or to wrestle. But let me just read to you from my notes. This phrase, earnestly contend, it's a translation of the Greek word ep agonizomai, a compound of epi and agonizomai. The word epi means over. Please listen, this is so very important. The word epi means over. The word agonizomai denotes an intense struggle, and it's where we derive the word agony. Agonizomai, agony. That's where the word agony comes from. It is the word used to picture two wrestlers who agonize to defeat the other in a wrestling match. Both wrestlers work to gain the advantage of the other and hurl their opponent to the ground, exerting every ounce of their strength to win a physical contest. The word depicts those who are fighting with all of their might to win a match of some type. It means to fight over an issue 
or to fight for truth, and it pictures people who are wrestling between issues of truth and deception. Ep agonizomai to fight over. It's the picture of two wrestlers who are slugging it out over the issue of truth and falsehood. And now Jude, speaking like a commander, tells us to act like troops, get ready to march into the fray. There's a battle taking place, and when you get into it, don't take it lightly. If you have to, give it everything you've got. You've got to fight over the issue of the faith. The faith is very important, mm. and that's what he says next. He says, earnestly contend for the faith. Isn't that something? Now, in Greek, it has a definite article, just like we saw in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, which means the faith does not refer to faith for miracles or faith for the supernatural or faith for signs and wonders. Mm -hmm. That definite article is very specific. It means the faith. Mm -hmm. It refers to doctrine, the creed that we believe, or the sound teaching of Scripture. And here's what we find. False teachers were wrestling over truth, and they were trying to wrestle it away from those who have it and replace it with a modification. They were trying to get rid of the truth. They were fighting over the truth, trying to take the truth down and introducing error into the church. And now Jude says, get in the fight, win the fight, give it all your strength, every ounce of energy you have. You do everything you can to wrestle that opponent to the ground. Do not let them take truth out of your hands. And then he says, the faith, which was once for all, delivered unto the saints. And the Bible says once for all is the Greek word apex. You know what that word apex means? The word apex means once for all. It is the idea of completion, finality, or something so complete it needs nothing new added to it, nothing more added to it. It was given once for all, complete, final, no need of modification or improvement. And that's what the false teachers were doing. They were trying to modify the truth. Why? Because they didn't like the truth. Because of the truth, it inconvenienced their life. Pagans didn't like the truth, so they wanted to create a new gospel that would be more palatable for unbelievers and pagans, something that was more inclusive that everyone could participate in. But it wasn't the truth. They were just making a new gospel. That's what they were making. And now Jude says, what, what, what do you not understand? The word of God was given to you apex, once and for all, complete, final, with no need of modification or alteration. It needs no amendments. And I want to tell you, friend, we do not need to amend the truth. Now we need to study the truth. We need to make sure we really understand the truth. But we don't have to amend it or modify it to fit our culture. Our culture is supposed to be changed by the truth. We're not supposed to be changed by the culture. Our truth is so powerful. The Bible is so powerful. It has the power to modify culture. And that is why the devil is out to discredit the Bible. He hates the Bible because he knows when the Bible is embraced and believed and declared, it releases power that drives darkness out of culture. That's why the devil in these last days has dispatched seducing spirits with doctrines of demons. It is an attempt to diminish the authority of the Bible. But now Jude says the Bible needs no modifications. The Bible needs no alterations, no amendments. It was given apex once and for all, complete, 
perfect in its form that it was given to us. Isn't that wonderful? I love it. And then he goes on to say, which was once delivered unto the saints. The word delivered is a Greek word, paradidomai. And the word paradidomai means to deliver over to someone else or to transmit to someone else. It's the same word we would use to describe a family tradition that is passed from one generation to the next. So let me use that example from our life. When I was growing up, my father was a real stickler when it came to family traditions. Every Christmas, we did the same thing. We rose at the same hour. He began to take family movies in the same moment with the same lights. We sat in the tree. We read the Bible. We did everything year by year exactly according to tradition. And because of that, my father passed that tradition to me and to my sisters. But I have to tell you, I've not done such a good job of passing the tradition to our own children because we moved to Russia. And in Russia, December 25th is not even a holiday. That is a work day. Russian Christmas is on January 7th, and it's not very celebrated in Russia, so our kids are not very interested in a Christmas tradition. They're really interested in the New Year's tradition because that is the Russian celebration. But because of all these changes, Denise and I haven't really emphasized Christmas like we would have if we had lived in the United States. So through the years, little by little, because we haven't stressed it, because we haven't pushed it, because we haven't enforced it, we've kind of lost the family tradition of Christmas in our home. Now, if you don't really make a decision to enforce tradition and to keep tradition, it can be lost from one generation to the next generation. Now that same idea is in this word, delivered. The word of God was delivered once and for all. Here is what it means. The word of God was given to us. And just like a family passes a tradition from one family to the next family, from one generation to the next generation, we have been entrusted by God with the responsibility to take the word of God that has been once and for all given to us and pass it to the next generation. We are to pass it like a tradition. We are to enforce it. We are to empower it from one generation to the next without making amendments and modifications along the way. Our job, my job, your job is to know the Bible and to declare it in its purest form possible and to pass it in power to the next generation. That's why I teach you from the Greek New Testament. We're going back to the original so we can get back to the purity of the message that was first given to us. It is our responsibility to embrace it and to pass it on as a tradition to the next generation. And Denise, we're out of time. Oh. We're out of time. Oh. <laughs> but we'll be back in just a moment and we're going to pray for you. The world is changing. In fact, it's more than changed. It's gone crazy. We are living in a world where faith is questioned and sin is welcome where people seem to have lost their minds about what is right and wrong. It seems truth has been turned upside down. In Rick Renner's new book, How to Keep Your Head on Straight in a World Gone Crazy, Rick reveals the disastrous consequences of a society in spiritual and moral collapse. In this book, you'll discover what Christians need to be doing to stay out of the chaos and anchor to truth. You'll learn how to stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit, discern right and wrong teaching, how to be grounded in prayer, and how to be spiritually prepared for living in victory in these last days. Leading ministers from around the world are calling this book essential for every believer. And right now, it's available for just $20. 
You can also order the 15-part teaching series when you call or go online right now. Rick takes you deep into New Testament prophecies about the end of the age and what you need to do to sail successfully through turbulent end-time waters. Available in digital or physical formats starting at just $24. Get the book, How to Keep Your Head on Straight in a World Gone Crazy, for just $20. And don't miss this powerful teaching series. Call the number on your screen now or go to renner.org to order. Call or go online now. My friend, our ministry is really growing. We're reaching people all over the world that are tuning in because they feel like they have found teaching they can trust. And what an honor that God would ask us to bring teaching of the Bible into people's homes. I'm really praying for a revival of the Bible in the hearts of God's people. And God's people are responding. They're calling, they're writing. And because we want to reach them and minister to them in the very best way, we need to expand. We are bursting at the seams. Our office building in Tulsa has become totally insufficient. We're having to put all of our resources and materials in containers because we have no more room in our building. And we just found a building that would perfectly meet our needs and it's fully furnished. And at the same time, we're building a new TV studio in Moscow because this studio is just inadequate for what we need to do. If you can imagine, we're filming five to seven daily programs in this studio. We have run out of space. It's time for us to expand. You can really make a difference in someone else's life by participating in this expansion project. And if it's in your heart to say, yes, I want to be a part of that, you can find out more by going online or give us a call right now. Today we've seen that in Jude verse 3, we are commanded to earnestly contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered unto the saints. God gave us the Bible. He gave us the truth once and for all. The Greek word apex, which means it's complete, it's final, it needs no modifications. The Bible needs no amendments. The Bible is powerful, my friend. That's why I always quote Ecclesiastes 8, verse 4, where the word of a king is, there's power. God's word really does have power. And if you'll embrace it, it will release its power in your life. Now today, there's a big trend to modify the Bible, to make it say what it really doesn't say, that we would become inclusive of things that the Bible is not inclusive of at all. And it seems people have kind of lost their minds spiritually. Where has common sense gone? Well, the Bible prophesied this would happen in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. Now, the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. But it doesn't have to be you, and it doesn't have to be your home. You can guard yourself against a world that has gone mad. That's why I've written my new book, which is called How to Keep Your Head on Straight in a World Gone Crazy. Order your copy today or the series that goes with it. A 15-part series comes in multiple formats. But I want to pray for you. Denise, let's pray. <laughs> Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus that today our friends are with us. Lord, we pray that just like a drunk is sobered, Lord, I pray that the Word of God will have a sobering effect on everybody that is listening and is with us today, and that that Word will release its power in their life. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. Thanks for being with us. And remember Ecclesiastes 8.4. It says where the word of a king is, there is power. We'll see you in the next program.